Hi, Chris Fallon here. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so excited about my new show, Cultural Catalyst, where we help you to learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. You can watch it weekly on my YouTube channel or listen to it here. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, welcome to Cultural Catalyst, where we help you learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. And I am your host, Chris Felton. And today I have Julian Adams with me, who is a prophet. And you are a pastor at, let's see, tell us exactly what you do. I have all these, you're the director of, what does that say? Frequency. Oh, frequency. (laughs) Well, I would. A little play on words. I don't know how we're starting, but I didn't start very well. I guess I didn't read. Frequency. Tell us about what that is. Yeah, so um, thanks for having me on, uh, Chris. Frequency is the ministry that I use as um, a vehicle, really, to equip the body of Christ in the prophetic and to bring the kingdom of God in every space and in every way, uh, which has been lots of fun. Um, and we get to travel all over the world into different spheres and contexts, um, really helping shape people and helping them think through a kingdom lens around what it means to be uh, people who carry um, God's presence and prophetic word into those spaces. And you also, you and your beautiful, beautiful wife are pastoring a church called The Table in Boston, right? That's correct. So my wife and I moved here um, two and a half years ago um, to plant um, the church. My wife leads the church. I'm just the associate pastor. And uh, (laughs) she is an amazing woman of God with an incredible revival legacy in terms of her own family. Um, And we're trusting God for revival on the East Coast. We're trusting God that something of his kingdom is going to break out here. And we plant in the middle of COVID. um, And surprise, surprise, God still works in the middle of a crazy pandemic. And you guys didn't know anyone in that city, right? That is is the correct story. We, We literally showed up with six people. Um, two of them were kind of on the ground outside of um, Boston, and we showed up on this great adventure with our two kids, Ezekiel and Evangeline, um, and hope for the best. And uh, yeah, God really has shown up. We've seen a number of salvations, people getting healed, a number of students coming from different um, colleges. We've got people from Harvard. We've got people from MIT, just all over the place, really, some business schools. And uh, we're seeing God do some wonderful things. We did our first baptism over the summer with three people getting baptized. Uh, you know, people told us going to the East Coast will be ministry suicide because it's so dark and so progressive, um, as well as the fact that it, church plants don't really work in Boston. And uh, we've seen God add to us really in spite of us. Um, but because he's kind and his gospel really works, even in the darkest of places. So your family, how old are your kids? Tell us a little bit. You're from South Africa. Yeah, so I am from South Africa. I grew up the first half of my life under apartheid um, and lived segregated from uh, white people. My parents are incredible church planters and um, just amazing pioneers, and they broke a lot of um, rules that were set up by the government in order to minister to some of the poorest of the poor, as well as to hang out with lots of 
uh, people of different backgrounds. So I grew up in this faith-building context of family um, where we saw miracles as a normal part of our life. I was born with a little a thing called cleft palate, which impacted my speech and my hearing. Um, and so grew up with this tension of seeing the kingdom of God moving power, but myself not getting the healing that I was expecting. But God, in his wisdom, takes the weakest part of me, and he's now using that to shape um, lots of people. Met my wife, who is from Iran originally, um, but is ethnically Armenian, and her grandfather uh, was responsible for the modern-day revival that's happening in Iran. It all began in their home. So she grew up in this revival context, and we met in the UK doing a big conference with young people and uh, met, got married. We've got two kids, Ezekiel, who is six years old, Evangeline, who's five years old. And uh, yeah, we're doing this great adventure called The Kingdom. Um, wow. And so that's a whole lot very quickly. How, but that's how, old is your, how, how old is your youngest? My youngest is five. Five, got it. Uh, her name's Evangeline. Wow. And they're, they're, the beautiful thing is, Chris, I'm sure you uh, must have many stories, and they're starting to discover God for themselves, which is amazing. And just seeing how God's breaking into their little world is wonderful. So beautiful. Julian, you are a modern-day prophet. How did you know you were a prophet? But I think for me, um, my journey began when I was about three, and I was sitting down on my mom and dad's bed. I, I was just about to turn four, and mom and dad prayed for me to receive the Holy Spirit. And I did, and I began speaking tongues. So I don't really remember a day not speaking in tongues. I don't really remember a day not knowing the very real, tangible presence of God. In fact, even in my darkest moments and most frustrating moments of God, I couldn't deny that he was with me. Um, I began to notice that God was speaking to me. Thankfully, my parents, uh, you know, they recognized something of the prophetic. It was the 80s. I was, you know, five, six or seven, around about then. And the prophetic movement for people like Bill Hammond and Dr. Sharon Stone was coming onto the forefront. And my parents were starting to recognize that. By the time I was nine, I received a prophetic word from um, a mentor. Uh, you know, since then, became a mentor to me, a woman called Janet Brand Hollis. She prophesied over me, and it unlocked the prophetic in a whole other level in terms of a flood of words and encounters with God. Um, by the time I was 15, around about the time of the Father's Blessing in Toronto, uh, the Lord touched me because of my list, because of um, just severe bullying at school that I had. I was afraid to speak to anyone. But when I was 15, the Holy Spirit filled me. I had this encounter for three days with God. And it literally moved me from a shy, introverted kid. I often tell people I got tons when I was about three, but I got power when I was 15. Wow. And I, I preached my first sermon uh, a week later after that encounter, and I have not stopped preaching and flowing in what I now recognize as quite a high level of the prophetic. Um, people would comment on that and started to recognize the prophetic grace that was on my life. And as I began to grow in that, you know, I remember when I was about 11 or 12, God said to me, you will be a prophet to the nations. I had this encounter in the room where he came to me and said, son, I've set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. As I walked out of the room, there was this old Scottish prophetic woman that I knew, an auntie in our family, kind of. She looked at me, she said, I had a dream about you. 
And I dreamt that you were like Jesus sitting at the well with the Samaritan woman telling the secrets of people's hearts. And as she said that, I fell out under the power of God. I just had this encounter in my room. And uh, that began the process then of me starting to discover what it means to flow prophetically um, and to try and figure it out, to be honest. And most of that happened in a little town called Fishhook in Cape Town, in the middle of nowhere, really, on the coast, right on the tip of Africa. God was forming something with me in secrecy that was beautiful and wonderful. And I think that, I I knew I was a prophet by the age of, I'd say, 11 or 12, I knew I was a prophet, but I only got recognized as a prophet in my kind of mid to late 20s as I began to get healthy track records of the prophetic. Yeah. You have a passion to see the prophetic ministry flow outside of the walls of the church. It's part of the reason like, why your wife is the pastor, right? Because your passion is, you know, you have a passion for the church, of course, but you have a greater passion for seeing the prophetic move in business world and, and in the political world. And I think you do some with entertainment in the entertainment world. Tell us about that. So, yeah, you know, I feel like I fell into this by accident. I have got no degrees. I've got no business acumen. Um, I, you know, I finished school under a system that didn't allow for people of color to get any extra education. And so the thought of me being in these places with billionaires and millionaires and CEOs and CFOs, politicians, is, is entirely laughable. Um, but that's just like God, isn't it? He chooses totally. the, um, the unsuspecting to change the hearts of people. And I believe the kingdom of God was always meant to be portable. And I believe that we are called to be outposts of God's gracious rule and reign, not in order to um, dominate, but in order to serve the way Jesus did. And so I'm getting into these spaces um, to prophesy and to shape people's hearts and lives. And, you know, Chris, I think the thing that has surprised me most about shaping and influencing culture uh, in the prophetic behind closed doors um, has been less about the accuracy of the prophetic words or the details of strategy and more about simply allowing God to use me as a conduit to connect to somebody's heart. Um, I remember being in Singapore prophesying over numbers of wealthy people, thinking, Jesus, I have got nothing. I can barely keep a budget. And you're asking me (laughs) to minister over all of these people. And I felt the Lord saying to me two things. He's saying you need to know that you're the wealthiest person in the room because you have information that they do not have. And two, I want you to connect to their heart. Don't go for the details. And it was almost like as I began to connect to people's hearts, it opened up opportunity to genuinely not only shape through the prophetic, but to help shape through a kingdom worldview and uh, redefine some of how they think. And that's been the most encouraging thing, being able to get into those spaces um, I love that Jesus most often did some of his most spectacular miracles. Some of his most spectacular conversations happened outside the sacred places, were outside the synagogue, and totally. it was in the public place. And I think there's something beautiful about that. Tell me, like, g- give me one story. I know you got a bunch of them. Every time we get together, you share these testimonies. Give me a story about what you know when 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 you've seen the Lord move in that space. 
Um, gosh, um, I think one of my um, fun stories actually was this moment in Singapore. I went into this company. It was a multinational. Um, I was way underdressed and not prepared um, and showed up. And I remember a guy sat in front of me. He was a, a guy from New Zealand. And my instinctive response was to try and observe or maybe get a sense or a feeling by what I was seeing in front of me in terms of kind of he's suited up, he's a power dynamic, alpha male, all of the things that you can gain through sight, that you can gain through intuition. And, um, you know, halfway through, I, I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, you're not getting my heart. Stop. Get my heart. And so I stopped and I said, can I just pause for a moment? I just want to hear from Jesus what he thinks about you. And immediately I began to see a picture of his daughter and some of the difficulties that she was going through. And this alpha male, who was very rough and not a Christian, was standing there and suddenly tears began to roll down his cheek as I began to minister to his heart about the thing that mattered to him most, which was his daughter. And at the end, he's like, how do you know these things? And I said, well, Jesus is alive. And... uh, He's speaking, and I was able to lead him to Jesus. Wow. Um, I remember one time being in, um, in England when I was living in the UK for a while. Um, I was doing some retail therapy on a um, day off, and I often tell people, when it's my day off, I really don't want to do ministry. I just want to have a proper day off. And I remember getting into the back of a taxi cab, and a gentleman who was driving was a Pakistani guy, and he said to me, Hey, what do you do for a living? And at that point, I kind of knew this is going to be a long conversation. And indeed, it was. I was a little bit frustrated with the Lord about that. Because um, I was like, I need a deal. And in that moment, God dropped into my heart that he's had a condition in his left shoulder for a long time. And um, in fact, I, I said to him, about five and a half years. And he said to me, how do you know that? And uh, this is a Muslim guy. And I said, well, unlike your prophet, my prophet is still alive, and he talks today. <laughs> and um, he was completely blown away, and I yeah. didn't pray for him, just very gently, nothing religious, nothing weird. And instantly, uh, he began to move his shoulder, which is never a good wow. thing when he's driving the taxi cab. Yeah. And um, after the second prayer, got completely healed. And then God began to give me some more words for him. And he kept saying, how do you know this? In fact, at one stage, he said to me, can you do that magic again? Um, <laughs> And I said, no, this is not magic. This is Jesus making him known to you. So beautiful. And uh, I want to say that he became a Christian at the end. He didn't. He did get me half off my taxi cab, <laughs> but, taxi cab price. But what he did do, and what I believe God did do, is he went home knowing that Jesus uh, had spoken to him. And again, just seeing him weep in the front of a taxi cab as the presence of God filled. It was just amazing. So I'm loving these kinds of moments where I get into these spaces. Um, I was in a... In a university context in the UK, in Oxford, um, with all of these people who are way more clever than I could ever be, um, having an opportunity to see people who are in their final years becoming doctorates, weeping as God begins to break in, as they think they kind of know everything, but God just breaks into their little hearts. And so it just changes everything, and they get to shape the world because they've encountered God. You got, um, there's a lot of people that 
feel like they have a prophetic call. Maybe they're prophets or prophetesses, or maybe they're just prophetic people. Uh, the, you know, the question they listen to us talk and our teachings, and they're they like the question becomes like, where do I start? And, and I'll ask you that question. What would you say to a young prophetic person or an old prophetic person who's you know, feels like they have a prophetic gift, but they feel like they don't know what to do with it. You know, I think for me, the biggest um, space and place that I started, probably be two things. I think one, my internal world and culture of my heart was one of encouragement. I often tell people the simplest gift of prophecy is encouragement. And if you can learn how to encourage, you can learn how to prophesy. And so I found myself working to develop a culture of encouragement internally and allowed that to be expressed externally. I think the second thing for me was, in the context of community, I just practiced and practiced and practiced. I figured that somehow God would use me, and so I'm just going to give it a go. Um, And I stepped over chicken lines way more than I probably should have and failed loads of times, but... I have an internal conviction that if I can just get it right once and bring glory to God, that will be enough. And I have lived with that internal conviction. I'd say to someone when they started out the prophetic, find community, uh, develop a culture of encouragement. I, I think for so long the prophetic has often been, thank God for people like you, Chris, who's changed the view of the prophetic, but the prophetic for a long time has been, let's find what's wrong rather than what's right. And I think in this next season, uh, as people begin to step out in their prophetic gift, if they can just learn to encourage, do that in community, get feedback, um, and grow a heart of compassion and empathy. Because the prophetic was never meant to be a gift for the future. It was meant to be a relational connection gift to help connect people to the heart of the Father. And that's where it all flows from. Do you currently have any kind of a word for where we're going? People are asking right now, we're, you know, we're in the midst of, yeah, we just come out of COVID, right? And we, um, you know, we're in, I feel, it feels like we're trying to find our way. It feels a little bit like a wilderness season, doesn't it? For, I'm talking about for America, for many of the nations. Do you, you have anything going on in your heart? that the Lord showed you? Yeah, I think um, there, there are two or three things that is stirring in my heart. Um, I think, firstly, we moved to America because we believe, not that necessarily that America is God's chosen frozen. I believe every nation God chooses in his wisdom for something unique. But there is a particular redemptive purpose for the nation of America. And I felt, you know, we felt God speak to us about moving to the United States of America to be part of that, to add our voice yeah. to discovering what's right with this nation and unlocking that and adding the, whatever grace we have to that. So I've got great hope for America. I've got great hope for revival. I believe we are in a, I believe we're putting our feet into the rising tide of another move of God. So um, I believe, secondly, God is going to right the scales of mercy and justice that we have often reduced the prophetic to a moralistic preference rather than a kingdom view. And I believe what God's doing is he's raising mercy and justice 
uh, and put them together because mercy and justice produces miracles. Um, I've yeah. seen that in my own nation where God turned around an apartheid government and shifted something because the church took responsibility not in a lording over it, but in a servant-hearted way, uh, in prayer, and shifted stuff. Um, and so I think mercy and justice, there's something about the seven mountains that we always talk about, and I, I find often, I prefer to call it seven spheres of influence, but we often talk about it as if we can just get to the top of the mountain and rule it, then everything will be fine. Yeah. But as my friend Pete Portal says, who, who lives in Cape Town, on a, in a gangland, effectively, he said, you know, God's going to, level the high mountains, and he's going to lift up the valleys. Yeah. And so it's not just about seven mountains. It's about the seven valleys, the places of poverty, oh, brokenness, so racism, good. inequality. I love it. And love the Isaiah scripture says he will level it. Yes. In other words, it's all going to find its um, equality. It's always all going to find its sense of togetherness so that the path, the highway of the Lord is easy. And I feel like God is going to restore... Um, to the church and ability to hold justice and mercy together and not have political extremes, not have theological extremes, um, and not have preference extremes, but have a kingdom view that the high mountains become low and the valleys become high. And then the last thing I feel, and this is probably the most urgent thing I feel as a prophetic word to the church, but especially to God's prophets, particularly in America, but I'd say in the developing world, God wants to unlock prophetic imagination again. And I feel like what we've done is we have um, put the ways of God and the will of God in a particular box and expected him to operate out of that box that we've defined. When actually part of the idea of the prophetic, both in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, is for the prophets to help God's people reimagine what it could look like if God's kingdom has fully come. And there are innovations, and I'm not just talking about business, I'm talking about prophetic innovation. I'm talking about prophetic imagination uh, that releases not just solutions for politics or solutions for issues to do with uh, sexuality or any of those things that we're currently facing, but actually is going to unlock and mobilize the body of Christ. I almost feel like the prophets in this season are going to have to come back into the body, into proximity with God's people in order to help unlock imagination so that as community we incarnate what it looks like to live and to follow the way of Jesus. I really love that because I feel like, you know, we create a prophetic ministry through the gift that God's given us, but we create prophetic culture when we come into community with the rest of the body. And I feel like there are so many prophetic people who have exited the body, actually exited church, and some of them are even anti-church, and they don't realize the effect that that's had when you stand outside of the body as an offended or rejected or independent. Proverbs says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. So I do believe that so much innovation, invention, imagination, uh, divine imagination comes in the presence of other the other parts of the body, doesn't it? Absolutely. I was thinking about... You know, the, I, yes. I'm, I'm a romantic at heart. I'm an idealist at heart. I'm, I, my predisposition is toward hope uh, because I, I believe the cross 
and the resurrection declares hope. Yes. And I feel like the thing that I, I was talking to a prophetic ministry the other day, and they said to me, oh, the church age is over. And I said to them, well, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus is coming back for his church. Yeah. And when we disconnect from the very thing that he has called us to, we get into trouble. They went on to critique the church. Uh, I said to him, I said, you know, if you critique my wife like that, you would get my fist in your face yeah, in love, of course. Exactly. Yet we do that with the body of that's Christ. The five, that's the five-fold ministry, right? Exactly. Five-fold, um, exactly. I genuinely believe the church is... Best days are ahead of her, despite yes. the crazy, despite the new cycles, despite what's happening. God has not given up the church, and he made us with this moment mm-hmm. of time in mind, which means we get to rise as messengers of hope and restoration for uh, the people of God to be all that she's called to be, beautiful and radiant and resplendent. I think that some people see the power of the church by the size of the gatherings. And I think that Jesus put that to shame when he preached his his famous message, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood message, you know? That was a good message. It didn't didn't have many many hits on the podcast, but it wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of likes and there was just a few views. But um, you know, the and what I'm getting at is that we tend to measure how the church is doing by how many people ga- are gathered to listen to a message. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think the beauty of the church is in the power of its presence in, in culture. And I think that Jesus proved that, you know, Bill Johnson makes a point that I think is powerful. He talked about how there was 3,000 men in that Jesus fed, plus women and children. And another time there was 5,000 men and women and children. And um, the person who wasn't counted was the little boy who brought the lunch that actually fed everybody. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> and he wasn't, he wasn't counted in the 3,000 or the 5,000. And uh, so the power of the church is not relegated to the number of people that put butts in the seat on a Sunday. Absolutely. Hey, you've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you've got something coming up soon, a prophetic training I think you told me about. Is that true? Yeah, so we host a 12-session um, prophetic training uh, called Vox Day, which you can find on our website, frequency.org. Um, and really, it is... What is it called? It's called prophetic, what? It's called Vox Day, which means voice of God. Oh, Vox, like uh, V-O-X? V-O-X-D-E-I. It's Latin for voice of God. Got it. Vox Day. Got it. Um, and it really, it is a heart renovation for the prophetic in order to unlock healthy prophetic ministries. Um, Our aim is not only creating online community, which is wonderful, but actually creating community in local churches where prophetic people come to serve rather than um, just look for a platform. I think the day of disembodied prophetic ministry is over. We need prophets of proximity who are in the mess who are with the people, so and good. who bring grace and freedom to, to those around them. And, you're, and So um, Vox Day really is all about that, training people in the prophetic it's so, um, and to step into a kingdom worldview around prophecy. And you are one of the strongest empowers and trainers and equippers that I know. That's why we had you on. It's frequency.org. That's right. Frequency. So it's a play on words, frequent, and then C, 
which is a plague word for hearing and seeing. Oh, that's why I couldn't read it. Frequent yeah. C. S-E-E. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Now, I'm, okay, I, I'm flowing with you now. It took me a few minutes. I'm You're like, with me. what is that word? Hey, could you just right now, could you just pray for our audience that will be watching this? I'd love to. That would be a privilege. So, Father, I thank you that you're bringing um, your people into this beautiful space of grace and favor. And, God, I, I pray right now that you would unlock the kind of prophetic imagination that would presume and over-exaggerate your goodness Come on. for the sake of communities, for the sake of homes, for the sake of businesses, for the sake of politics, for the sake of every sphere of society. God, I pray that you would help us refocus, reset, and redefine what it means to be those who carry your heart with wisdom, with insight, and with a clarity, God, that would... Um, Bring glory to you. God, I pray you, in these days that you would restore glory back to the prophetic, all back to the prophetic. And I pray, God, that mostly you'd release people who would be lovers of you, who would have dove's eyes, who can only mm-hmm. see one thing at one time, and that will be you, mm-hmm. so that your glory, your fame, and your name would be exalted once again in this great land of America, United States of America, but beyond this, for the nations of the earth, God. I thank you that you are doing something good, and I pray that you would increase that in this next season. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Julian, thank you so much for being on with us. I miss you, by the way. Love to see Uh, you I know, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We have a School of Prophets coming up August 8th through the 12th. I think this is our 16th year. August 8th through the 12th. You can get information on that by going to Bethel.com forward slash events. God bless you. See you next week. Hope you have a really wonderful week. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to ChrisVellaton.com. Have an awesome day.